morning.
Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, and it's hard to believe that this is the last Saturday of, last Sunday of June already, and July is just around the corner. But we are grateful to be here. It's good to see you, and we are excited about um, worshiping together through through singing, through listening to God's Word, and through the fellowship um, that we have one and, with one another through the Spirit. If you're visiting here this morning, it's so good to see you. Welcome back. If you're a regular folk, it's good to see you as well. Welcome. Um, we are glad you're here, and we trust the Lord will um, will use this service to minister to you. I just have a couple of things to, to mention before um, some of the folks that helped out with our summer Bible camp are going to come and give a report. First thing is, if you are visiting or if you have a question or a prayer request, please take advantage of these little cards that are in the bulletin that look just like this. You can jot a prayer request on it. You can ask a question. You can update your information. You can say, hey, I'm not on the prayer email. I need to be. Put me on there, um, and we'll take care of that. Any of those things we can handle, just write it on this card. Drop it in the offering plate um, in just a moment when we pass it around. But let me just mention a, a few things. Today, at the end of our service, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. So um, you can start looking forward to that and preparing your, your hearts um, Tomorrow morning, men, 6.30 Elk Diner is men's breakfast, so um, all men are welcome, and um, it's a wonderful time to start off the week and enjoy breakfast, prayer, and fellowship together. And then one last thing, um, this Wednesday at 11 will be our, our last midday Bible study for the month of June, and then we'll take the month of July off, we'll have a break, and then we'll come back the first um, Wednesday in August. So 11 o'clock, we'd love to see you here. We'll have lunch, we'll study God's Word, we'll sing from the hymnal, and we'll take time to pray. And that's Wednesday um, at 11. Uh, but now I want um, the folks to come that are going to share. Um, there's going to be some pictures showing on the on the screen from our week of summer Bible camp. And um, with that being said, I'm just going to turn it over to them. So this week I had the third through fifth grade, and um, you know there are a lot of ways to share the gospel. But this one, the, I had done this before, but hadn't, wasn't really familiar with it. But it worked out really well because it used little icons, and so the kids who can't read very well aren't hindered by it. And so it was really neat. So we played some games to learn, you know, what they meant. This is God rules. We sinned. God provided. And we do John 3.16, you know, and then Jesus gives. He's given us his own spirit, you know, to receive him, and he'll guide us through life. And then we respond. And so we played little games with it, and then we went through it again with the scriptures and looked them up. And so then they went to Deborah's um, craft time, and they had some miniature ones, and she went through them again. And then they came in here, and Rusty had been talking to a guy from the Gideons. And so he came and brought my class little Bibles. And so then they got into snack time, and then we started talking to them. And I said, you know what, I, if you guys will write down your symbols and write down what they mean and the verse that goes with it in the back of your Bibles, I'll bring you candy. So bring them to me Friday and let me see. So that way you can learn how to share your faith with other people. We didn't even get out of craft. I mean, they're scrambling for pens, and they're writing and drawing their Bibles and doing all their little signs. And, and one of the little girls leans over, and she goes, let's go to your house, and let's work on these so we can know these better. So it was a good week. So thank you for your prayers. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. So when we prayed in class, 
um, I had, I told Russ, I told Samara was in there for us for that part. And I said, Samara, have you done this? She said, yeah, I, I got baptized. And I said, I want Jesus to be the boss of my life. I said, Rusty, what about you? He said, yeah, a preacher came to my house and we, we prayed and I received Jesus. And I said, yeah, the same thing happened to me. And then all of a sudden another girl in the class goes, I've done the same thing. A preacher came to my house and baptized me and my dad. And then another girl goes, we got, I got baptized in my granddad's swimming pool. And we went through that. And then all of a sudden the others are sitting there and I said, if you want to pray this and you want Jesus, then we prayed, and I said, now, if you prayed this prayer, and you really mean it, you want Jesus, I want you to give me a thumbs up, and three little thumbs went up. 100% accuracy right there, you know? <laughs> so praise the Lord. I was in craft with uh, Deborah Williamson, um, and let's see pictures, actually, of the fourth day where we were painting rocks, which was really fun. Um, we did four days of crafts. We had the painting of the rocks, and we did uh, these little fun catcher things. We wrote, Jesus loves me on, on the side. And um, we had the these little, they called them storm blowers. We blew pom-poms up in the air and talked about how Jesus calmed the waters and he can save us. And uh, we talked about that. So, yeah, we had lots of fun with the crafts. The kids are adorable. They're so cute. And so, yeah. Really fun. I, I was really glad to help. Uh, I've I've participated in a lot of VBSs when I was little, but this was one of the, uh, the only two so far that I've gotten to help in. So it was really fun. Um, I was in the pre-K class with Christy, and we had a lot of fun. It was really fun to see all the kids at the beginning just having fun dancing to the worship songs. And um, one of the kids even stopped by my work yesterday to say hi. So that was really cute. Um, I was in snack time with Miss Shelly, and we just got prepared snacks for the kids. Um, it was nice seeing every group, um, just seeing like the different ages and how they maneuver through life, and how um Jesus, if you choose Jesus to um walk with you, that is the ultimate. That's a better way to go. So it was cool seeing every group, and I never been in a Bible camp, nor have I ever um, participated in one. So it was good volunteering and just seeing from a different point of view. And we actually have one that was in Miss Christie's class right here, and hopefully by the grace of God they'll be attending this church. And yeah, it was really fun. And next year y'all can come and see. Hopefully um, y'all kids will be a part of it. If not, y'all can volunteer. So yeah. Wow. Thank you all so much. That was, that was wonderful. I do just want to say one last thank you to the ladies that, um, that made um, homemade snacks and put them in the refrigerator and put them in the freezer so we could have them. And um, I don't know if you notice in the pictures, but whoever, whoever took those pictures of the desserts has got a problem because those are like professional quality zoom-in dessert pictures like you would see in, a, in like a, a recipe book. So, Jeff, you don't have to tell me who took those, but... Um, Evidently, they were very impressed by your desserts because they took um, stunning photographs of them, or maybe it's been so long since I've had a dessert that they just seemed overly appealing to me. Something is, um, is probably true in that statement, but we are grateful, and um, you know, it takes cooperation from everyone who volunteers, it takes the prayers of others, and it takes those who do things like, like make cookies and, um, and help it to happen, so we are very grateful, and we're thankful to see um, the fruit in the future of what the Lord um, has started while we were here. Um, I'd like us to read this morning from Psalm 95, and then we're going to take 
um, opportunity to pray, and then our, our deacons are going to come and receive our offering. Um, Psalm 95 um, is important, um, especially this morning, because when we get to the third chapter of Hebrews, we'll find that the, the writer there actually quotes um, several verses from the end of it. It's only 11 verses, so I'd like to read those, and then we'll take time to pray. It begins, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Gentlemen, will you come and pray? Join with me in prayer, please. Most holy God in heaven, we do lift your name in praise and giving you honor, for we know you are the one true God. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we come to worship you. Be with Pastor Rusty as he delivers the message. Speak through him with the Holy Spirit, dear Lord, that we will hear the words that you want us to hear. Be with the worship team as they lead us in the worship. Just guide them and direct them. And bless this mess offering that we bring to you today. It's just a part of what you give to us each and every day. And we thank you for that. And we pray in your son Jesus' blessed name. Amen. led me to surrender to renounce my rights every line my and trust before I know the answer laying down my at the shadow's feet come rushing like the
Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
there is a place mercy reigns and never
Praise God. He lives and we serve a risen Savior. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 3, we'll start reading at verse 7 today as we continue on in looking through um, our studies in the book of Hebrews. And let me just say um, up front, today we come to another word of, of warning. And I know in the audience today, people sitting here, that, that probably you're going to handle a warning one of three ways. One, 
you're going you're gonna to hear the warning and the immediately your response is going to be, Lord, never let that be true of me. And you take that to heart and you take steps immediately. There's others that will say, wait a minute, what did that say? And have I really started to head in that direction? And you realize quickly that you need to, to make steps, you need to make changes to cause that to not be the case. And then there's the third case, and that's the the case that really gets to the heart of what we're going to look at today. And those are the ones that hear and that quickly dismiss, and they may say something like, well, that was a good little talk, or that was for somebody else, and it really doesn't apply to me. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk today about avoiding hard-heartedness. It sounds very similar to the word hard-headedness. And we'll see as we get into the story that they are interconnected. I don't have a lot of diamonds. Um, I bought a diamond um, in 1996 when um, Deborah and I were engaged and were going to be married. And But I knew about diamonds, that they were the hardest substance known to man. And they're, they're beautiful, they're valuable, they're precious. They make rings, they make necklaces, but also they use them for drill bits and they use it for an abrasive material, and you can use one diamond to cut another diamond. And also learn that a diamond doesn't just form overnight. Well, it didn't back in the day before they could do it in a laboratory. But it takes time, heat, and lots of pressure. That a pure atom of carbon is compressed into a crystal form that is a diamond. And that hardness happens over time. But also, equally, it's true, the human heart can become hard as well. It doesn't happen in an instant. There's the heat of temptation. There's the pressures of the world. And our faith is challenged. And over time, unbelief, disobedience begin to put layer upon layer of callous upon your heart until it's hardened. And today, hopefully, we'll see that that hardening of heart is dangerous, but it doesn't have to be permanent. And also that it may be prevented when we trust and obey. In fact, today, I think if we think of it this way, it'll be helpful that your heart is either softened through trust and obedience or hardened by unbelief and disobedience. That your heart can be one or the other, depending on your actions. It can either be softened through trust and obedience or hardened by unbelief and disobedience. And so as we look at the rest of chapter 3, we're going to see an example from the history of God's people, the Israelites, when they rebelled against their leader and against their God. There's a warning to not harden hearts, and there's a challenge to hold firm on to Christ, to follow His leadership and to trust and obey. So let's read the verses together, and then we'll pray and we'll begin. Chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Lord, help us this morning to understand and to apply this lesson from history and this warning for our present day. And we trust along the way that we have your word, which is faithful and true, and your Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and guide, to bring us the truth. We ask for his help and we trust he'll bring it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's two simple points and some subpoints, and the first thing is the command there, do not harden your heart. said in the introduction that he begins with this example from history, speaking about the Israelites, mentioning an episode that is reflected in the words of Psalm 95, but actually takes us all the way back into the book of Numbers, chapter 13. As you maybe noticed earlier when we read Psalm 1, Psalm 95, the first half of it's glorious, it's praise to God, but then he ends with a warning, and that warning has to do with our topic for today. But back to Numbers 13 for a second. So you know in the story of God's people that they are on the very border of the promised land. They send 12 spies in to scout things out into the land of Canaan, and 10 come back and they say, oh gosh, those people are, are powerful and the cities are large and they're fortified. And then two men, Joshua and Caleb, say, no, we should go in and we should take it. We can do this. And the people didn't believe that God was powerful enough to bring them into the promised land and they rebelled against their leader, Moses, and against their God. And they said, you know, it would have been better if we could have just died there in Egypt or died in the wilderness. And they refused to trust God and enter into the land that he had promised. And as you read the story, you find that God was angry and he brought judgment. That generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, would wander in the wilderness for 40 years and die in the wilderness. There was no promised land for them. And the author fills in these details in verses 16 through 19. It's interesting how he does that through a series of, of five questions. Most of the answers are, most questions are answered with the next question, and the last one answers itself. But it gives us the details that kind of fill in and help us to realize that, okay, they're talking about the time when the Israelites could have trusted God and taken possession of the land, but they did not. And from this story, the author hopes to bring a warning to us and an encouragement that we can trust God and His Word, we can follow His commands, and hopefully we won't rebel against God 
and miss the blessing that he has. In this case, it's his rest. We're introduced to that word rest. We won't talk about it much today, but next week we'll talk much more about it. But look at your Bibles, verse number 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. Interesting, isn't it? Earlier we read things like God says or the, the Lord says, but here the Holy Spirit says. God's Word is inspired, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit guiding the writers to put the words on the page that are exactly what God intended, using their unique personalities, their unique writing styles and experiences to record His Word. And so He says, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you, harden, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. You can also hear in these verses the, the, the note of the still, small voice of God. If you've ever heard that, those warnings where you, you feel God's Spirit saying, hey, watch out, you're close. And that Holy Spirit speaks to us on the inside. Don't harden your heart. And the clear warning there is, don't fall into the trap that this previous generation fell into. Don't rebel. Don't test God and His faithfulness. Don't have a hardened heart. But how in the world did they get to that point? I want to give you this progression that leads to hard-heartedness. And it begins with the word unbelief. Ten spies give a report. Oh no, we can't do it. They're too great and we're too small. Two guys come back and say, no, we need to go in and take the land. They didn't believe that God was powerful enough, able to follow through with what He promised. Now, we might have some level of doubt, but I want you to understand that these people had been in bondage under Pharaoh, and God delivered them. They painted the blood of a lamb over their doorpost and watched physically as the angel of death passed over. They saw the Red Sea part, and they walked through on dry land. They saw God protect them and provide for them time after time in the wilderness. And they looked at their current situation, they dismissed their past, and they said, we can't do this. They didn't trust God to bring them to the place of victory and into His promised land. And they used the word there, rebellion. They rebelled. And because of their rebellion, they didn't enter the land and they died in the wilderness. And if you have an unbelieving heart, you don't see God's hand working. You refuse to follow His leadership. And unbelief, if unchecked, is the root of the next stage, which is disobedience. Now you may not have thought about the connection between unbelief and disobedience. In fact, we all probably know what it means to obey today. You learn that as an early age. Yes means yes, and no means no. And sometimes if you proceed and run a stop sign that your mom or dad gives, and you ignore a no, you find out that there are consequences for your actions. God spoke to His people, and in His covenant that He made first with Abraham... He made a simple, he made it plain and simple. He said, I'll be your God and you will be my people. All he asked him for to, to do was to trust his word and obey his commands. And if they did so, they would enjoy the blessings of protection and provision. But if they failed to, if they crossed the line, 
then they would be susceptible to curses or the negative consequences. And so, when you and I disobey, it shows a lack of belief. Speed limit sign, 60 miles an hour. That doesn't mean me. I could drive 70. Mom or dad say, clean your room, and you don't. Why? You don't really believe they mean it, and there will be a consequence, but you find out later there is. And so when you disobey, it really shows that you don't believe God's word. You don't heed his warnings, because it's true that if we believe, we will obey. And so unbelief, disobedience, turns into rebellion against God. Disobedience, rebellion against God. Now you might say, you know, I might be a little hard-headed, or I might be a little stubborn, but I'm not a rebel. Notice verse 8, the writer quotes, as in the days of rebellion. Why were they rebels? Because they didn't obey. And regardless of the situation, when we choose our own way and dismiss God's way, we're rebels. And God takes rebellion seriously. See, we have to understand that also disobedience isn't ignored by God. Now, it's true that he is loving, he's merciful, he's gracious, and he's way more patient than any of us deserve. But it's also equally true that God is holy and just. And so there comes a point in time when God says, enough. And in verse 10, God says, I was provoked with that generation. Now, we know what provoking is like. If you've had an older brother or a younger sibling, you know what it means to be provoked, and before long you get angry, and they just have so much fun watching you get angry. And sometimes it can be just the least smallest little thing, and we're provoked to anger. But we have to get in our minds that when God is provoked, it's never without a good reason. It's perfectly justified, and when He is provoked, judgment is certain. And you see in verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, promise made in his anger, they shall not enter my rest. Their penalty was not being able to enter the land of promise. You see, if you or I repeatedly say no to God, you know what happens? It becomes easier the next time to say no. And over time, it becomes more and more difficult to hear his voice speaking. And if not corrected, that disobedience leads to further disobedience and hardening of their hearts. I've never been to the Cleveland Clinic, but I do respect the information they provide. And and I think if I lived in that area around Ohio and I needed help, I would look to the Cleveland Clinic. But the Cleveland Clinic describes a condition that many people suffer called hardening of the arteries. Gradually, plaque builds up inside your arteries and the blood that once flowed freely finds it more and more difficult to flow. It happens over time. It goes most times without notice until all of a sudden a heart attack or a stroke happens. But yet, in many cases, it's absolutely preventable. High cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes, 
are all um, contributing factors. Being overweight, using tobacco, eating a diet high in saturated fat, but yet continuing in those things that we know aren't good over time leads to hardening of the arteries. It's the same thing with a hard heart. We ignore the warnings. And as we persist in disobedience and unbelief, that disobedience builds up layer upon layer and our heart begins to harden. A hard heart. And when the Bible talks about our heart, we have to remember that almost every time, it's not talking about the the organ that's inside of us that pumps blood. It's speaking about, in figurative language, the control center of a man or a woman. It combines your brain, it combines your emotions, it's the the thought center, the, the, the emotion center of who you are. And so a hard heart is, verse 12 describes, as an evil and unbelieving heart. So it's prone to things that are harmful and hurtful and lives in opposition to God. It's unbelieving in that it doesn't trust. You see, what happens over time is a hard heart begins to ignore God's voice. Verse 7, verse 15, and then we get into chapter 4, they keep repeating this line from Psalm 95. Therefore, if you hear His voice, today, if you hear His voice, the time to listen to God is now, right now, it's today, it's tomorrow, and the next day. And if you refuse to listen today, it'll be a little more difficult the next day and then the next time until simply you're able to tune out God's voice. People that live near railroad tracks, after a while, you know, they they tune out the sound of the train going by. And if they have a visitor at the house and the visitor says, gosh, did you hear that train? Many times they would probably say, what train? Because they haven't even given it a thought. They've heard it so often that they don't pay much attention. And sometimes our hearts get that way over time. See, it takes time. But it happens. I mean, the Israelites had the entire time from the time they walked out of Egypt until they stood on the border border of the land of Canaan. And while there were times of rejoicing and praising, they spent much of their time grumbling, complaining, quarreling. They took opportunity while Moses is up on the mountain to make their jewelry into a golden calf. They rebelled time after time. And as one writer said, the final rebellion, the rebellion there on the border of the promised land at Kadesh Barnea was simply the climax of many past sins. It's unlikely that you just wake up with a hard heart. There's a long list of choices and circumstances in the past that lead toward it. There's lingering unbelief that if unchecked grows. There's sin that if not dealt with will not go away, but will manifest itself. And then disobedience comes. And hard hearts thrive in this atmosphere of disobedience like 
bacteria loves a, a warm, damp environment. That in this area of disobedience, the heart just tends to grow harder and harder. Until the point that hard hearts face the penalty of forfeiting God's best. A hard heart that rejects God's free gift of salvation ignores God's warning, His plan of rescue, and chooses by their own rejection to spend eternity separated from God in hell. When God's people developed a hard heart, they missed out on His promised land. Now, they were still His people, but they didn't enter into His rest, the place of promise. And as I said, we'll speak more about that next time. But what about you? What about me? What about a Christian that says, you know what, I follow Jesus, I made that commitment, I know I'm a Christian, and all of a sudden your heart starts to get a little bit harder. At the end, if you don't control yourself, you may get into heaven, feet dangling over the fire, but along the way, you're going to miss out on the blessings the victories here on earth, and the rewards that wait for you in heaven. See, God's best is His rest for His people. But let me say two more things quickly before we move along, just about the, the hard heart. It doesn't, it, it doesn't need to develop. You can avoid it. And if you find yourself and your heart is a little bit hard or harder, it can become soft again. Because the opposite of a hard heart is a soft heart. A heart that hears God's voice, that recognizes sin and disobedience and unbelief and confesses it, that trusts and believes in God. What could possibly soften the human heart? How can a heart be changed? If you have your, your Bible, I'm going to ask you Old Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 36, verse number 25, because this is so important to our heart condition as Christians. Ezekiel 36, verse number 25, the words will be on the screen also, but listen to what God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, cleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone hard heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh a soft heart but it gets better and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules you shall dwell in the land that I have given your gave to your fathers and you shall be my God and I will be your people. So at that point of trusting in Jesus, that heart of stone is turned into a heart of flesh. It's miraculous. We don't understand it all. We're thankful for it. God regenerates us. We have new life in Jesus. But as we continue on, over time, we battle against sin. We fight temptation. And the Holy Spirit is along with us, helping us to keep a clean, soft heart. You probably noticed it in the verses there that I read that the Holy Spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. 
So we have a helper that God has given us, the Holy Spirit, who works in us to help us to learn to walk in obedience, to desire to walk in obedience, to convict us of sin and lead us to repentance that brings us back to Jesus, and then gives us the power to stand and fight against temptation and to overcome our flesh. And the key to receiving a heart a new heart, a clean heart, a, a soft heart is holding firm or grabbing hold of Jesus. The second thing, hold firm to Christ. Remember, all through Hebrews, we're learning Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. And his argument here is really this. If God's people didn't follow my servant Moses, and they suffered consequences. How much more will the consequences be when they don't follow my son, Jesus? Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So now he takes it from the realm of history to the realm of today. He takes it from abstract to concrete. He takes it from third person to first person. How about you? How's your heart today? And he says, first of all, you need to watch out for yourself. Other translations have that phrase, take care, translated as watch out, see to it, or be careful and make sure. Why does he want us to know that? Because even in the Christian, developing an evil, unbelieving heart is a possibility. When we reject God's ways and we don't follow in his truth. And while it is possible, it's not for certain. And just as the Israelites did, it suffered. He says, if you don't check this now, you can fall away. You can drift from God. Now we have to understand that the Bible, you know, teaches that Genuine salvation is secure and complete. God is able to keep those he saves. But you can lose out on the blessings of walking closely with the Lord along the way. Or you could settle for less than God's best here on earth. And each person has to give an account for their own actions. There's individual responsibility, but at the same time, we have a level of responsibility to one another. So he starts with the individuals, he speaks to these holy brothers and sisters, and he tells them to encourage one another. Verse 13, exhort or encourage one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he sets the boundaries of our encouragement. When does it start today? How long does it continue every day? When does it stop? Well, it stops when today is not called today or when the end comes in this present age. Because we all have something in common. We all fight a daily battle against sin. And every one of us needs encouragement every day. And so we have a responsibility to one another to give encouragement, to receive encouragement, because sin is both enticing and deceptive. 
Tommy Lee says it this way, not Tommy Lee, the musician, but Tommy Lee, who taught at Southwestern Seminary. Um, sin exaggerates the benefits and hides the consequences. It's like those commercials for um, pharmaceuticals or for those miracle cures that you see on television. You know, what's up front is all the benefits. This helps prevent. This does this. This does this. It's all they talk about, and it's usually slow. It's impactful because the words are on the screen. And then at the very end, they talk at a speed that is um, so incredibly fast about all the side effects, right? Those taking these medicine may experience. They go, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they start really, all these things. They, they highlight the good, and they diminish the bad. And sin does that. It highlights all the benefits, but it hides the, the cost that it pays. And we need to encourage one another because sin is deceitful. And so your ministry on any given day could be just speaking a few words of encouragement to a brother or sister, texting a prayer or a verse. At times when God leads you calling out error and declaring the truth and love to someone, you know, it's one of those heart-to-heart conversations that we all have to have, you know, brother and sister, you know, I need to tell you something that I've seen, but it's so necessary. And the goal in all this is not to feel better about ourselves, but to help each other out in this challenge of holding on firmly to Christ with the result of staying faithful to the end. That's what we want to do, right? We want to say at the end of the race, we are faithful. We follow Jesus and we're finishing the race. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I think reading this in the message translation by Eugene Peterson is helpful, or at least it was to me. He says, keep our grip on the sure thing we started out with. We're in this with Christ for the long haul. I would sum it up in two ways, that if we want to stay faithful to the end, if we want to hold firm to Jesus, then it requires trust and it requires obedience. In fact, those are the two opposites of what leads to a hard heart, trusting in place of unbelief, obedience in place of disobedience. And as we listen to God's voice, and we believe, that's faith. As we listen to God's voice and do what He says, that is obedience. And the two go together to form in the life of a believer, a close union with Christ, a soft heart that's ready to hear His voice and do what He says. And it's so wonderful that because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, that our obedience shows that we are united with Christ. But also at the same time, because we are united with Christ, we have His Spirit in us and we have the ability to trust and obey. And so if we want to stay in the faith for the long haul, we need a healthy, soft heart. Y'all could probably fill in these blanks for me. What are the two things that doctors will tell you are the most important in having a healthy heart? One starts with a D, the other one starts with an E. Come on. Exercise and diet and exercise, right? That's for heart health. In our spiritual heart, we need the same thing. We need diet. We need exercise. God's truth is our diet. 
can't get enough of this in our lives. Read it, pray it, meditate on it, speak it to one another, listen to songs that, that, that teach you that, know it, believe it. But the exercise we need, you know where the exercise comes? The exercise comes in trust and obedience. When you trust and you obey, you exercise your, your faith. And some of us are in that position right now. We're, we're filled up with information. We're filled up with knowledge. And where we need is that knowledge to hit the road in the place of application. God, I'm going to step forward and I'm going to trust you in this. God, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to serve in this area. God, I'm an introvert. I don't talk very well. You know I'm not good at it, but I'm going to trust you and obey you in your command to go and speak to other people about Jesus. Because what we're looking for is a living relationship with the living God. That He is active in history. He hasn't forgotten about us. He's still in control. And that's available to you and me through Christ. That we are made alive in Jesus. We come close to Jesus the closer we get, the more we know of His ways, the more we love Him. We learn to trust Him. We learn to obey Him. And that soft, humble, obedient heart is just a heart that beats and lives for Jesus. We want it. Oh Lord, help my heart to, to live and beat for You. But that heart can either be softened through trust and obedience or hardened by unbelief and discipline. Today and every day after, you have a choice. Will you believe or doubt? Will you obey? Will you disobey? Will your heart stay soft or will you allow it to begin to grow hard? The writer says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. 1987, the band Petra released, I would love to say CD, but it was actually a cassette tape. I know that dates me. But it was This Means War. Man, we went to Six Flags, and we saw the concert, and I got the cassette. And one of the songs, written by Bob Hartman, who was an amazing guitar player and phenomenal guitar songwriter, I'd like us to use it as our prayer as we finish today. And then after I finish reading this, these words, Samara is going to come up and sing the chorus for us. Bob Hartman wrote these words. Let it be our prayer as well. Don't let your heart be hardened. Don't let your love grow cold. May it always stay so childlike. May it never grow too old. Don't let your heart be hardened. May you always know the cure. Keep it broken before Jesus. Keep it thankful, meek, and pure. May it always feel compassion. May it beat as one with God. May it never be contrary. May it never be at odds. May it always be forgiving. May it never know conceit. May it always be encouraged. May it never know defeat. May your heart be always open 
never satisfied with right. May your heart be filled with courage and strengthened with all might. Let his love rain down upon you, breaking up your fallowed ground. Let it loosen all the bindings till only tenderness is found. Tomorrow, why don't you come up? serious look at the condition of our heart and that we would desire above all else to not have a parted heart or the broken heart. So Lord, with childlike faith, you would help us to remain broken and open before Jesus. You would give us thankfulness, meekness, and purity. Lord, replace our heart of conceit with compassion, our attitudes of contrariness with compliance, seek out your forgiveness, that we would be honest and not deceitful. Bring encouragement in times of discouragement. Help us to not be satisfied with anything other than holding firm to Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that not only brings conviction of sin, but brings assurance of salvation and the encouragement and the strength to trust and obey you. And so, Lord, we ask that the wonderful, sweet, loving rain of your grace would fall on us. And, Lord, we would take the words of the prophet to heart. We would break up the fallow ground. It was time to seek the Lord. And, Lord, that our hearts would be found tender, soft, and humble before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't let your heart be hardened. Why? Because it's rebellion against God and because it's absolutely, completely preventable by holding firm to Christ. Fix those two thoughts in your mind. Lord, keep me from a hard heart and help me to hold firm to Jesus like us to reflect on that thought for a moment. It's also a time as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper for you just to, to take the opportunity to say, God, search me. There's things I need to confess and bring before you, Lord. I just want to come before you clean and I want to enjoy the remembrance and the celebration of your table together um, with you. It may also be a time that you need someone to pray with you or pray for you. You can ask a brother or sister, hey, would you pray with me? I'll be at the front and available 
you need someone else to pray for you, we can make that happen as well. Or maybe it's just the, the day you thought, you know, today I'm going to going to give up on this, trying to do it myself, and I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. Or maybe, you know, God's saying, you know, I wanted to plant you, you to be planted here in, in service um, as a member. Whatever the decision, we trust God to speak and that he will give us the ability to respond. Jackie's going to play quietly as we listen to the Lord. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Lord, let that be the cry of our hearts. It's always this mixture of anticipation, excitement, and somberness when we have opportunity as a church family to celebrate the Lord's Supper. There's anticipation and excitement because we get to reflect on what Jesus has done for us and the benefits that we receive, it's serious and somber because we also realize the cost that Jesus paid on our behalf. We read about that Last Supper in the Gospels and Jesus sharing this Passover meal with his disciples. And we find that he gives us the symbols of the bread and the cup to represent his body and his blood. And then in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, Paul found a need to give instructions to that church to make sure that they were conducting themselves in the right way, but also conducting the Lord's Supper in a way that was honoring of the Lord. And so it's from his instructions to that church that we read from this morning and that give us our instructions for the time together as we not only fellowship with one another around the bread and the cup, but we also fellowship or commune, where that word communion comes from, we commune with our Lord Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So this isn't Paul's interpretation of what should happen, it's the Lord speaking. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
me. Gentlemen, will you pass the bread? together. Lord, we are thankful for the sacrifice that you made, for your body that was broken, that you gave your life so that we could have life. And so as we take this bread, we ask you to remind us of the suffering, the pain, the sacrifice, but also the joy. The Bible says that because it was set before you, endure the cross, suffering, in order to bring us salvation. So bless this bread. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Continuing on with Paul's words, verse 24, he says, And when he had given thanks, he, oh sorry, verse 25, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Gentlemen, will you pass?
Matthew's record of the Last Supper, he records the words of Jesus and says, And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Will you join me as we pray, Lord? We thank you for the blood that was shed and this cup that represents the shedding of your blood. As we drink it, Lord, remind us of the cost of our cleanliness before you, that we are made right with you. We have peace because of the blood that was shed, and it's your blood that purifies even the hardest, most deceitful heart. We'll trust in you. We give you thanks and we pray in Jesus' name. Paul concludes his instructions by recording the words of Jesus, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we say thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, and we look forward with great anticipation the day that he returns. Our worship team will begin making their way up here, and we'll sing a concluding Song And just a reminder that on your way out, the, the deacons, the gentlemen will be there. I'm at the doorway. We have traditionally collected an offering um, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, and that just is um, goes toward our benevolence. So um, it's not um, a requirement, but you do, if you do want to give in that way or you're prepared to, um, the gentlemen will be ready. I want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, I was thinking about something um, earlier, and I thought, you know, here's the... If you want to, um, if you want to guarantee that um, I will start um, preaching shorter sermons, we have a full nursery. I'll preach shorter sermons because if I don't, the uh, the nursery workers will rebel and um, and there will be um, big trouble. No, but I'm thankful that we have about four kids in there this morning, and I just wanted to say that. But yeah, that's a that's a great thing and a great encouragement. So thank you for being here. Your presence is um, is a blessing to every one of us. Just in join together in standing as we sing together, and when we finish singing, you're dismissed. Thank you.